0: All right, hello and welcome to Between the Liars with Ryan. Today we're going to be highlighting the crossover I did last week with Ken from the podcast Taboo Topic. We unpack the full World Economic Forum manifesto and I dive into the numerous logical fallacies they use to sell this as a good idea. You're not going to want to miss this absolute smackdown because I came with receipts, all that and more coming up.
1: Welcome back to Tapu Topic. I am your host, Ken Drew, and I am now joined by my friend Ryan from Between the Liars. For th- Actually, this is the first time since I started calling the Wednesday portions hot seat edition. How are you, sir?
0: I am doing excellent. How are you, Ken?
1: I am doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. We got a very interesting conversation to have today.
0: tonight. <laughs> yes, I think, do. Don't you think? <laughs> we really do.
1: <laughs> yes. Um, before we go any further, I want to ask my audience, as I normally do every single week when it comes to Hot seat Edition, what are your thoughts about my monologue? Do you agree with it? Disagree? You think I'm stupid? You think I'm smart? Whatever. Let me know through the social media platforms I've mentioned, obviously. Obviously, for me in particular, uh, some of the takeaways from the Great Reset, I mean, I pretty much went over in my monologue. It's basically a Marxist agenda, and it's not something that I want in society. But, Brian, I'll go ahead and leave the floor to you since my audience has already heard my initial reaction or initial take uh, with this whole Great Reset. Uh, What are your initial takeaways about the Great Reset based on your research? Uh, What's some things you think you could add to what I said already? Go ahead. The floor is yours, my friend
0: okay so I have a lot of thoughts I think my biggest <laughs> thought you you took the words right out of my mouth this this has its roots in a communistic socialistic idea I think that's most evident in kind of this new well, I guess it's actually technically not new but what they're pushing now is the shareholders versus stakeholders idea right this harkens back to the socialistic or communistic revolution both of those ideas are rooted in the idea that you know you you need to have the means of production in the hands of the workers, and and that's what they want to do now. Um, I guess broad thoughts here. Politicians and the elites are always out for themselves. Like I know that much is certain. Doesn't matter the society they're in, they're going to be after the power. That's, that's right. That's a, that's a constant. <laughs> right. I think my big thoughts on the manifest or the the manifesto is that. They're trying to shift who are the arbiters of truth, right? They want to be the ones to determine who is fair. They want to determine what is a free market. They want to be able to decide what's best for society. So I think the big question that your listeners and honestly everyone needs to be asking themselves is – who gets to be the arbiter of truth? Who gets to decide what is just? Who gets to decide what's best for the economy, the ecosystem, the social classes? Because they're, they're kind of doing like a, a three or four pronged attack here to try and say, these are a crisis, therefore we need to restructure based off of what we want.
1: And I even mentioned a monologue, particularly when it comes to objective truth. They are pretty much trying – first and foremost, in order for them to be the arbitrators of truth like you just mentioned, you have to take the spirituality out of it. You have to get rid of the concept of a deity that holds everyone else accountable, which is what really Western society was built on when it comes to morality and try, and having dialogue as well. And if you can convince that, which it kind of parallels what Karl Marx beliefs about religion were, which is like the opium of the masses – and wanting people to trust the state for everything and rely on the state for everything, all the way to the truth as the ultimate source of truth, that's when you could convince people to go ahead and pretty much convince people to become sheep and brainless zombies servants for the state. When I got on the uh, manifesto and really the whole great reset, <laughs> uh, what you we call it? their website. I mean, to me, one of the first thoughts I even had was, I can't believe this is publicly available information. Like they're just that upfront about it at this point. They're not even trying to hide it anymore. This is their agenda at this point. Did you find that interesting too?
0: I did. I think that they're covering it with this Trojan horse guise of equity, right? When President Biden came into office, when he was campaigning, The Biden administration was campaigning on equity, and a lot of people might not have noticed this was a subtle shift from the word equality, right? If we have equality, it means there's equal opportunity. If we're talking about equity, we're talking about equal outcome. And there is not a society that ever has or will ever exist that is truly equitable, meaning when you divide based off of any social categories, whether it be gender, ethnicity, um, th- there's there's no possible way that it will be 100% equitable. And they take this idea that we need to make it more equitable. And then they they basically say, we can do whatever we want for the sake of equity. So I guess on the one hand, it's surprising me that, that they're being this upfront. On the other hand, I think because they can cover it with this false front, this facade of, we're doing this in the name of equity. I think that they can turn around and they can club you with, you're a sexist, you're a racist, you're a homophobe," like anything that they are wanting to hit you with right now, you are an ist, right? racist, sexist, because <laughs> right. you're not in favor of equity. And so they take this ideal and they say, if you don't like our methods, then you obviously disagree with equity, which is is fallacious, right? But But that's what they're doing. So I think they've become emboldened because we've been eating that up.
1: I mean it's good, it's definitely a good words to get people's attention. It sounds great in theory. It does. <laughs> um one of the things as well that I found interesting when they were talking about the uh capitalist, the three method three systems of capitalism, I found it really ironic that they called state capitalism uh by they refused to call state capitalism for what it was, which was communism or socialism. (laughs) Like they, but they call it state capitalism and they pretty much lumped capitalism all into this, all into one as if capitalism is the evil root of the problems we have in society. And that's really part of the propaganda machine that we're seeing right now. And this is where really where one of the reasons why I brought you on this episode, because there's only so much input I can give as someone who's not an academic you are an academic and my goodness, the last time you're on my show, you went off in critical race theory <laughs> and you went full academic nerd mode and everything like that. So there's only so much I could put this on a hot seat from a peasant point of view and everything like that or student, whatever. This is where you chime in, Ryan. So the floor is yours. What do you, what are some logical fallacies with everything you've researched and seen from the great recent from both the economic and societal standpoints go ahead my friend
0: okay so let's start with i want to go back to the shareholder versus stakeholder that we were just talking about and you'll notice that they're they're basically pointing to a problem in the system and assuming that if they change the system they change the problem that's not the case Right? because when you look at a socialistic or a communistic society, uh, let's just take poverty as an example. Right? We can say there's X amount of people in the United States who are impoverished or who live below this specific poverty line. When you look at a, at a socialistic or a communistic society, you don't see that getting better. In fact, capitalism is the best answer to raising people out of abject poverty. So for example, if we just look at China right now, they have a very large population that lives in abject poverty. The money is not benefiting people within the society. They do not have a free market that allows them to arise out of their social class that they're born into in the same way that we do in the United States. And so what they're doing is they're taking this idea that, ah, poverty exists, and then they, they commit this logical fallacy where they skip to the end and they say, just because we've thrown thrown out these ideas, we don't have to test them, we don't have to demonstrate that they work. Instead, you just need to believe us that that's going to be the case. And this is a logical fallacy known as begging the question, which don't confuse that with when someone says, you know, this begs the question, right? So if they say this begs the question, that's completely different. Begging okay. the question means that I make a claim and I jump to a conclusion and I don't demonstrate the evidence that this will be the case. So for example, like I just mentioned, they say poverty exists, communism strives to make people equal. Therefore, boom, we raise people out of poverty. And when you look at the way that communistic societies or even attempts at socialism go down, that's not the case. So they, they commit this logical fallacy saying, we're going to go ahead and raise people out of abject poverty when nowhere in the history of the world has communism or socialism demonstrated that it improves people's state of living. Okay, Here's another thing you 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 mentioned in the manifesto and they talk about how you know they they want to give basically the empower the workers. We want to make them uh, shareholders. the The difference between or excuse me, yeah, shareholders, the difference between shareholders and stakeholders. Shareholders are going to be people like for a company in the United States, let's say, who have publicly traded stocks. They're the ones who have, they're on the board, or maybe they're the ones who hold the stock options. They're your shareholders. Stakeholders are the people who work within the business. So for example, when I work at um, my school, I don't get any dividends or anything like that, but I have a vested interest in keeping my job, right? So that's kind of the difference that they have here. In the United States right now, you can own your own company. Anyone can start their own company. What you need, though, is you need an idea good enough that people will buy into it, that they'll support it, that they'll literally buy your product. And so what the capitalistic society that we have, the free market, encourages is don't come up with stupid ideas because when they fail, (laughs) when they fail, you go bankrupt. So you are incentivized, if I want to start a business, to have a good idea, right? Would that be a fair statement?
1: That would be a fair statement.
0: Okay. What they want to do is basically artificially inflate or uh, artificially <laughs> help the bad ideas float. They're saying that, <laughs> you know, the free market is too stupid. You know, you're too stupid to vote with your dollars. And so we have to artificially, that's where, you know, you might get some government subsidies, some bailouts. Right? These these are the ex- that this this idea would be the extreme version of a government bailout, right? Because it's it's regulating who can do what things based off of the social credit that they have or the business credit that they have. they're, They're really, like I mentioned before, they're really taking this idea of equity and pushing it as this front and saying, well, this business didn't do as well. We're not going to examine whether or not it was a good idea. What we're going to look at is what are the the, the boxes that are checked? And if they don't come out equally across all the boards, well, then we're not doing it service. Does, does that make sense? Like they're, they're basically trying to rewrite an economic system that will in fact be required to support terrible ideas based off of equity.
1: To force that equal outcome.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's they're, they're, the only possible way you can have equity is when you artificially regulate through a government or some entity overseeing it. Because think about it this way. You and I have different tastes, right? I've gone the academic route. You haven't. So (laughs) even if I drew a difference, I'd say, ah, there's a disparity. Ken is not suffering as I am as an academic, which means we need to (laughs) force him into academia. But that's what they're doing on a very simplistic level is saying you don't get to choose what you buy. You don't get to choose what you, you do for a job even because we don't need it and they need to get specific numbers up. That's the only way that you can regulate an economy and that's why they turn to the socialistic principles or the communistic principles, meaning that you have to comply with what the government wants. And I love how everybody thinks that if we reach communistic enlightenment, they would just have more time for painting. And it's like, are you overlooking the gulags (laughs) that took place? Like the government does not care about your individual preferences at that point, they go off of where can we make this equitable? That's what they're moving towards. So one of
1: the things that I thought about when I was uh, doing my research and everything like that as well was essentially they paint like I kind of I actually alluded to this a moment ago too, where they pretty much paint capitalism as this broad stroke and point out all the flaws of capitalism into this one clump, as if. Just because some people do not succeed in a capitalistic society, it must mean it's a failure of the entire system by itself. Yes, and that, and because of that, we need to rewrite the entire system and blame capitalism to justify our reboot of society and economic policies.
0: Well, and that's that's another great fallacious argument that comes about when you try to argue with a socialist or a, a communist like for example of Chris it. he's he's a great guy on the uh, alt-left podcast <laughs> but every time I try to point out look at the problems with socialism the argument circles back to well that's not true socialism either ca- uh, capitalism was the death of it or regulation was the death of it or some evil you know jerk who forced their ideas too far is the problem and then they say that's not true socialism. And then they basically want to have you believe that so long as we could just do things perfectly, boom, we get utopia. And and that's just, but then they look at capitalism and like you mentioned, they say, oh, well, one instance of capitalistic injustice or one instance of capitalistic failure or the fact that this business failed under a capitalistic society means we throw out all of capitalism and it's logically inconsistent.
1: One of the things I noticed when I was reading the manifesto, and this is one of the reasons why I'm so glad Brett's on the show, because if if I just read off the manifesto itself, I could not dissect it the way you're able to. Um, but what, like, if you read off the manifesto, at least to the average person, at least when you look at the manifesto by itself, it's not going to look that bad. In theory, right. some of these ideas are good. Like they, when they bring up anti-corruption, like, yep. who's, of course, who's not going to be against? Who's going to be against corruption? Or you know, fighting against corruption. Who's going to be against that? But that's one of the things that I think people like Klaus Schwab are relying on, is counting on, I should say, is for people like myself to not look more into it and actually look at the fallacies and reading read between the lines, if you will, to understand what they're really pushing for.
0: Well, yeah, absolutely, and. This is what the Democratic Party has been running on for years and years and years. Is they rely on the appeal to emotion, the appeal to pity, right? They they focus on who's the person who's suffering. Let's elevate them and say this is the picture of everything that's wrong with whatever they're talking about, right? Whether it's capitalism or whether it's a, a, a Republican-run country, like whatever they're trying to point out as flawed at that time. That's what they elevate, and they. Don't really let their voters think about what are the consequences because, of course, like you mentioned, Ken, who's not going to be against corruption? The question every person needs to ask themselves is on a functional consequentialistic or like, what are the consequences? What's the practical application and enforcement who's in charge again this goes back to my first question who is the arbiter of truth who gets to decide what's corrupt ken because congress sure as hell (laughs) hasn't called themselves out for their corruption that's on us so if we're assuming that congress is going to call out corruption or some esteemed elite world leader is going to call out corruption well then you're assuming that people get better as they get more power and that's just historically and factually incorrect
1: so what are what are the other fallacies? I know you point. You said you point. You had nine fallacies found with this. <laughs> about,
0: so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Go ahead, man. You know, You're all, the floor is yours. Like I said. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, well, let's just start from the the nonsensical or the nonsense idea that communism and socialism assumes that the right government is what we need to reach utopia right like i just mentioned it's it's just a matter of time we just keep trying and trying and trying until we get the every communist ever
1: (laughs) every communist ever
0: (laughs) and you know it's incredibly arrogant jordan peterson mentioned this it's it's incredibly arrogant to assume that if you had been there you would have been able to do it better and that's just not correct um it is not correct that you know when when you would have been there you could have just done it better you know you wouldn't have killed 10 million people. I'm not saying that a, someone who supports <laughs> socialism or, or communism is not a good person. That's not my point here. My point is you are assuming that you can control a system that historically has been proven to not be controllable. And
1: wait by the way.
0: <laughs> what was that?
1: Repeatedly too.
0: Yes, absolutely. And utopia literally means nowhere. It is not possible to achieve. And there's this semantic game that's being played by the left here. And I, you know what? I I have not met someone who's on the right who's in favor of socialism or communism, but let's not be (laughs) exclusive. So anyone who's in favor of these two ideals. I have these conversations on a fundamental level, like even on our podcast, like when we had Chris on, and he agrees with me that our government is problematic, and where we disagree is I think that the government and the people who run it, aka the politicians, are the problem. And to me, it is it is fallacious to assume that as long as you give them more power or more time, that they're going to fix the issues that we're pointing out. That's what communism and socialism assumes they put too much stock in the goodness of people, the altruism of people, and they overlook the practical application. And so then again, like I mentioned, the semantic game that's being played is, well, when you point out a failure, I agree, that's bad, but that's not communism. That's not socialism. And it's impossible at that point to really point out the issues because they move the target. Every single so, time.
1: I would also venture to say one of the flaws of the Karl Marx perspective or worldview is they don't take it into consideration of people's free will either.
0: You're exactly right. The, the same is true for equity. They don't take into account people's free will. I mean you and I had a whole discussion over uh, the, the Protected Pay Act or whatever it was that Biden was talking about, which was talking about the gender inequality. Union. Yeah, and they don't account for human choice. But anyway, go listen to that episode if you want to have the full discussion because I'm not going to derail us here. (laughs) But everything that we've talked about, whether it be poverty, climate change, social inequality, those are made worse under communism and socialism. They just change what those look like. So, for example, let's talk about China. When you have a communistic government, you have a massive gap between more people, actually, because you have the super ultra rich, the, the ruling class, and then you have the abject poor, right? Those who are in abject poverty. There are fewer people in abject poverty in the United States under a capitalistic society than there are in China. And I understand that there's more people in China. But even when you look at it by a per capita or like an equal population, it is the system that is causing that. And we need (laughs) to understand that's the case. Go ahead.
1: I was going to say you also have to take it into consideration – can't speak English all of a sudden. But you have to also take into consideration that China, they're only going to present what they want the world to know. And so they may present the world, they may only show like cities like Beijing and Hong Kong, like, oh, look, we're doing so great now. But they're not going to talk about the west side of China, where the majority of people are still living in poverty as well. It's something to take it into consideration, I think.
0: Right. Now, another fallacy is called the post hoc fallacy, which is short for, it's Latin, so bear with me, post hoc ergo proper hoc, <laughs> which means in English, that basically means because it, it follows, it is caused by. Right. So for example, what they're saying here and why it's fallacious is poverty the capitalistic system, therefore it is caused by the capitalistic system. Do you see the problem there? Like that 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 does not make sense. <laughs> yeah, we kind we of touched on that just a moment that. ago. Yeah, we just right. touched on
1: that moment ago too.
0: Right. Now, again, uh, just to put a, a, a logical fallacy title on what we also talked about a second ago, they rely on the appeal to authority which basically relies on calling someone an expert, and then therefore we should believe them. Or we call someone an expert, therefore we must follow whatever they say, right? So President Biden is in office. He was put into office by the people. Therefore, he represents the will of the people, and so we must agree with everything he says. That's not the case, right? That doesn't make sense. You're relying on the authority. (laughs) Exactly. So it basically asks people to blindly follow what they're saying because they are in power, right? So I can't tell you the number of people when I've looked into their actual credentials, they're not credentialed in the area they're speaking on. This is a bit of a side tangent, but it drives home my point here. So bear with me.
1: <laughs> You're good.
0: I read an article that was talking about basically addressing how there are, uh, there's a whole bunch of dark money funding the GOP, okay? And I don't need to get in the specifics. Just understand they were criticizing the dark money funneling through the GOP. And when you look at the, the credentials, you know how every article you read, it talks about who the person is, what their credentials are, where they went to school, who they work for, yep, et cetera. Yep. It starts off by telling me that this person is credentialed, meaning they have a PhD, right? And then when I look at what the PhD was in, it wasn't in statistics. It wasn't in politics. It was in history. It was like in like art history. I'm like, just because <laughs> you have a doctor or a doctorate in this case, doesn't mean you are an expert in the field you're speaking on. And yet they are held up as, number one, working for a major news source, and number two, having a PhD that does not qualify you to speak in the area that you're speaking on. And to say that that's the case is, again, an appeal to authority. So when they look at who are the politicians, who are the world speakers, if their credentials don't line up, that means they're not an expert. And yet we are expected to believe them purely for the case of they have the power. Does that make sense? Like I'm not saying that experts who are credentialed in that field should not be listened to. That's not what I'm saying at all. Even Dr. Fauci has a certain amount of medical understanding. Where it becomes fallacious is where you say every policy that they propose is flawless because they are credentialed. We make mistakes. And I'm speaking as someone who is is wrapping up their PhD program. I don't have all the answers. The number of people that you realize do not have all the answers, which is, (laughs) spoiler alert, all of them, (laughs) uh, it becomes a bit terrifying. And that's not to say that, you know, in my field, which is it's power um, and influence and organizational communication. I I look at those areas. I'm going to be far more credentialed in that area than someone who's not. But I don't get to just say... I'm the expert, so listen, right? Even when I'm drawing a conclusion in a paper I'm writing, I have to make an inference. I have to give my opinion. And that is based off of my expertise, my history, my research, and my understanding of the subject. So in theory, I'm very qualified for that. Just like in theory, Dr. Fauci should be, right? But when we're saying that policy or what do you recommend based off of what we have said is where you start interjecting your opinion and to just say that that is flawless because they have a credential Is a fallacy.
1: It really would explain why these uh, global elite, if you will, they come across as arrogant anytime someone questions them because they want to be viewed as the ultimate source of truth. And anyone who dares to question them is somehow inferior to them and really (laughs) falls into the, I mean, really. What Marxism relies on, it relies on the population to depend on the government or the state to go to them for all your needs, whether it's like your basic necessities, such as healthcare, which is something we talked about last week on your show, or even, or two weeks ago now, or simple, simply the truth. And anyone who questions the truth, no matter how flawed or flat out lie, false it is... Um, you're in the wrong, and you're a threat to their system, their uh, their narrative, which we'll get into the societal aspect as far as uh, the social credit system, which I'm curious to hear your thoughts about that as well.
0: <laughs> not good. Which, yeah, I'm sure you have a
1: lot to say about that, but what other what other policies did you see with this manifesto particular right, that you want to I've point got,
0: out? I think I've got two left, and I know that's not nine. I might have exaggerated a bit for an effect, but... Um, <laughs> So, going off of what you were just touching on, you have populum, which is the people logical fallacy. Which this can be broken down into two main areas where I see this using it. So, number one, it's the patriotic approach, which basically uh, think about it. Yeah, um, and and ironically, <laughs> Biden's been using this now, right? He went from groveling yep. on the campaign trail to if you don't support the bloated they call it the aid for Ukraine bill, but it it had a million pet projects. And then just like 10% of that was actual aid for them. And, and then now the argument, but
1: (laughs) I was going to say, and also a little pay increase for themselves as well. 20%.
0: They got to beat that inflation. They created of course. Yeah. But what they do then is they basically shut down dissent by saying, well, you're not patriotic. If you don't support the garbage, we just passed, right? Because they, they have this tiny (laughs) little thing that's supposed to be going towards freedom. Or so they say, and they basically shut you down by saying, you're not for X group of people, right? We talked about how they said you're not for uh, whatever intersectionality they want to mention, whether it be the intersection of race and gender or whether it be the intersection of race and sexual orientation. They say you don't, and then they say you don't support your country or your patriotism. You know, if the United States can't lead the way with the Green New Deal, well then <laughs> we're what semi- good are failure. we? Yeah, right, we a exactly. failure. Now, here's the one that I think most people easily point out, but if you really- Want to you know make yourself sound smarter than you actually are, like I'm doing right now? You tell them it's the (laughs) ad populum argument; it's an ad populum logical fallacy, and they're specifically using the snob approach, which basically says, "Ah, well, the best people are obviously in favor of this thing, right? So obviously the elites are in favor of fixing (laughs) society. Get on. You see what I'm saying? So you all the rich kids. (laughs) Who fly their, you know, multi-million dollar jets, spending billions of dollars of fuel with today's, you know, economy, but to then talk everyone- to you about how you are the problem by driving your hybrid car two miles down the road for work?
1: And how dare you be poor to not buy a Tesla? <laughs> You heard of the environment.
0: Ken, let me tell you this. If there's one thing I've learned, it's you're either not working hard enough or you just, you know, <laughs> it's not that you were not born into money. It's that you're either not working hard enough or, you know, we all have to make sacrifices. So, you know. Born
1: being selfish. That's what I've learned too.
0: <laughs> and by we all make sacrifices, we mean like <laughs> Lord Farquaad on Shrek. Some of you might die. That's a risk I'm willing to take, <laughs> right? Like that's that's what they're saying. They don't care that you don't have the financial means to improve your situation. They don't care that if you make less than $300,000 a year, that you're the one who gets hardest hit with inflation. Do you hear that? $300,000 a year still falls under the category of not being able to adjust well, which means that our politicians are about the only class that stays above that. And they have the audacity to tell you that you are, you're not good enough, you're not supportive enough, you're not patriotic enough, you're not uh, compared with social justice enough unless you buy up everything uh, every crap sandwich they're serving you.
1: It really feeds into what I was saying in my monologue that in this system, a Karl Marx's worldview, those are the people who benefit the most from all of this. The little guy, we're the ones that get squished, squashed. And we're the ones who least benefit and are the biggest losers in this Marxist, communist, socialist paradise that people keep calling it for the last, I don't know how long. I guess another 20 more failed attempts, we'll figure it out <laughs> how great this system is. But it really feeds into, though, how this system in particular, even though the irony of it is they proclaim this is for the people, this is the working class system, it is far from the working class system.
0: Well, you saw how the party of the left was the party of the workers and the blue collars until, uh, what was it, Ottawa a few weeks ago? <laughs> <laughs> like they're in favor of the working class until the working class stands up against them.
1: Yep. And we talked about that in the Week in Review edition, which you guys can also tune in to listen to that episode where Ryan actually gets into critical race theory, what I mentioned earlier. Um, So what other points you want to make before we kind of switch transition into the societal aspect of this Great Reset?
0: Okay, so let's talk about the last fallacy that I saw, which is the straw man fallacy. So, go back to if you were traumatized during your childhood like I was watching <laughs> The Wizard of Oz. That's <laughs> not that bad. <laughs> hey, I was I was terrified. Uh, I had nightmares for a very really? long time from the witch. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Dude. Anyway, uh, not the character I want to focus on. I want to talk about the scarecrow. Okay? Because that's basically okay. what this this fallacy is. So, you know how a, a scarecrow in a field, they weigh a lot less. they Dumber can't do as much. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you were to knock down a scarecrow, nobody would really think that's a whole big deal, right? And that's basically what they're doing here is they set up a weak version of your argument and then they try to defeat it and then they act like they've defeated your point.
1: So see.
0: the example I'll give you here, uh, as I was doing my research on this and looking into other people's opinions and podcasts on this, when people were publishing things that we're talking about how this is a conspiracy theory because have you heard the joke that goes what's the difference between a conspiracy theory and truth about 6 to 12 months
1: (laughs) Uh, I've heard of that one yes okay
0: so a lot of these podcasts, people were covering it back in like, let's say, like, I don't know, January, December, when people, the elites were not talking about this in quite a specific of terms. And now they're talking about it. So the way that they're they're trying to shut down these things is they take some of the more fringe, more of, you know, like real conspiracy theory ideas and then say, because these are connected to the New World Order or they're connected to the Great Reset, then obviously it's it's fake. So two examples here. Number one. Remember how people said, you know, Bill Gates is injecting a microchip into your arm with this vaccine, right? Like, obviously, yep, that's, that. <laughs> that's not true, right? Any illogical person is not going to think that's the case. And then the other one is the wealthy are creating an elite apocalyptic bunker to survive the end of the world that they're going to create. Did you hear that one?
1: I have not heard of that one. That's yeah. a new
0: one. So if you ever watched American Horror Story, the one where like basically the rich were trying to get to this bunker to escape the end of the world, that's that's basically what this conspiracy theory said. So they shoot these two down, right? They're like, "All right, obviously there's no substantiating those." So they shoot them down and they say that means the new world order and the great reset don't exist. But that's not what you and I are talking about today. What we're talking about is things like the fact, you know, cuz they were they were saying things like, that, the foremost, uh, this
1: is publicly available information, so you can't right. call it conspiracy theory when it's actually on their website. So that's right, knocked out. <laughs> and and
0: they were and they were saying something like, "Well, why would the elites do that? Because they have all of this money, and if they restructure to more equitable, then that cuts against their interest, right? So they're they're kind of throwing out those those side." Arguments that don't really clash with the well, they're
1: also well, they're also underestimating. I keep making this argument on my episodes lately is you can't underestimate the level of depravity people will go through to seize and maintain power,
0: right? And you know, none of those arguments that I just mentioned negate the fact that politicians are looking to reset like trudeau has said it biden has said it you had boris johnson saying it like they're all using this language of build back better and they're all using this language of the great reset and it doesn't mean like i said a second ago that you know the covid vaccine was their attempt to try to take over the world it does not mean that bill gates is trying to inject you like none of that what i'm getting at here is we're moving to a deeper use of things like COVID passports and carbon taxes, where they want everything to be set up through a government regulation, right? So one of the, the big debates has been, what's the difference between you know getting the vaccine and having that versus requiring the vaccine? A lot of people who were not opposed to the vaccine oppose vaccine mandates. And there was that whole debate going on there. And what we're seeing now is like, if you look at China, China's a great forerunner on what a lot of this this world interconnectedness, government oversight looks like because they have covid passports to where you're not allowed to leave your house without your phone that has all of your government medical identification on it. In fact, from what I've heard it sounds like they actually send out like this almost like amber alert type of a thing if <laughs> um you have like a specific like lower social credit score type of a thing, right? That's that's uh, alerting people to To you being in their presence, like that is where we're wanting to go with what you had mentioned about some of the social credit scores or even like in the infrastructure slash the Build Back Better agenda. They're wanting to put taxes on people who are driving in or riding in vehicles that emit what they deem as too much carbon. And so they're going to tax people who are basically poor. Right, You're being taxed for being poor because if I don't have the money <laughs> to invest in a brand new car that fits the standard of emissions that they want, I get a tax on top of that, which continues the cycle of lower standard of living or poverty, depending We're on- Living in a climate
1: about. crisis, Ryan, Come on. We got a climate change crisis going on.
0: Everyone has to make sacrifices, but the point here is the straw man that they're making is they're basically saying, ah, well, these three things that we've selected are obviously false. Therefore, when the government's talking about creating- um, specific ways to sur- uh, to keep surveillance on the people or they are creating ways to COVID passports or so whether it be um, through specific like social currencies or whether they want to be able to track your banking system like they were doing in Canada. These are all the epitome of what these governmental leaders who are talking about the Great Reset want to get us to because it gives them more power. Never underestimate a politician's ability to take advantage of a crisis. So this this is exactly what we're talking about here with the Great Reset. It's not about the conspiratorial things. It's about things like the government wants more oversight. They want more interjection to be able to say this business is up to par. This business is not. This person is corrupt. This person dissents. If I had a single word— that terrifies the government that would come out of this conversation. It is the word dissent. If you are of a dissenting or Mm. differing opinion, (laughs) you are one of the people that threatens the system and uh, an elite or anyone who's in favor of this does not, allow for this i mean just look at trudeau what we've been seeing in canada like that is the epitome of where we have the potential to go i'm not saying we're going to end up like that i'm not saying that this is the fall of the government if even something like a, a covid passport is something that you're dealing with that's not what i'm saying what i am saying is that the government and politicians like i mentioned at the start what they want is control And the more doors we give them, whether it be for the sake of equity or whether it be for the sake of regulation, the more they will move past that. You give them an inch, they'll take a mile.
1: I mean, you can't deny it's very calculated. Either as far as every crisis they see, they will use that as an opportunity to give themselves more power to take oversight of people's lives and take control of people's lives. Which I'm glad you got into the social credit system because that kind of gets into the more social aspects of the Great Reset. And really one of the main things I really thought about really as I was doing this uh, monologue and article in particular was I like how originally – the World Economic Forum, as or at the time it was called the European Management Forum, they were trying to model after the United States. We were the leading, uh, we were leading as far as the model for economic freedom and how society should function, right? A free society. And now we're starting to module after China as if they're now the ideal society to pursue not only from an economic standpoint, but also... A societal standpoint, that's where we get the social credit system, which to me, it's terrifying that in China and what someone like Klaus Schwab wants to pursue is to have the social credit system where even if you disagree with the government, unless you 100% comply with the government, you will not have a good social credit system. And How can that affect your life? Well, it could affect many things. It could affect your ability to purchase a home it could affect your ability to get a job or a decent job or an education to help steps that in our society in America and what society has built on where people could actually get themselves out of poverty. Now you're suddenly at the hands of the government at that point.
0: Well, that's exactly right. And we talked about cancel culture the last time I was on, and this is pretty much cancel culture 2.0. It is like the final Pokemon evolution of cancel culture. I like that theory. I like that analogy. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> okay, so I want to talk about – I just want to walk you through my thought process and your viewers' or listeners' thought process on this. So right okay. now in a free market society, right, because we don't have pure capitalism, we have a free market that has certain bounds, right? There's certain regulations. Therefore, it can't be like truly pure capitalism.
1: So let me ask you this real quick because some yeah. people will say that our, because of that, it's technically – we're technically socialists. How would you uh, push back on that?
0: So we're technically neither of those because we have certain, we have certain capitalistic principles and we have certain socialistic principles. Having one does not mean that we are that, right? So, for example, uh, we have something like social security or we have something like Medicaid. Like those are more socialistic in nature, and that doesn't mean we're socialistic country or socialistic economy and so the free market regulation we have a lot of that right so we kind of the more we leave the the economy alone and the less we intervene with government it seems like the better we happen to be doing pure capitalism would basically be things like uh what socialistic people who are in favor or socialistic ideals tend to focus on right so they're like ah so you think it's not a good thing that children are no longer in the mines, or that you know we have a nine to five or like there's limitations <laughs> on how long you can work those are regulations right those okay. uh, and, and so pure capitalism running unfettered or completely unchecked would not allow for those things to take place so really it's a fine balance between the two that would be my response
1: Okay, so continue with your thought process before I interrupted.
0: (laughs) All right, so in a free market like that, like we have, if something doesn't align with your values, then you have the ability to withhold your vote, right? You withhold your dollars and you withhold your support. So if I think that a specific company doesn't represent me well, or if they have just, let's just say, not even on a political level, but just on a functional level, they have a crappy product, I'm not going to support them. So what that does, and we kind of touched on this a little bit, It makes it so that you are gradually pushed to provide goods and services that will reach the broadest number of people so you can make the most money now what they're proposing through this manifesto is a militarization of cancel culture where a company that doesn't comply with specific ideas is no longer you know voted down by the the consumer or the the stakeholder Instead, they're destroyed by the shareholders. They're institutionally suppressed by the government or whoever they happen to put in charge. So, and this is where, again, with the semantics on the left, what you see is they, they put up this idea that as long as you still have a platform of sorts, it's not cancel culture. Right? Like, let me interrupt uh, you. That's called consequences. <laughs> so let
1: me, let me interrupt you real quick because I'm yeah. now I'm a little confused a little bit. So the stakeholder, what is your idea of a stakeholder? Because my understanding when I did my research, at least from the uh, WEF, World Economic Forum, what I got out of it was basically a mix of the state capitalism, as they call it, and the shareholder capitalism and in combined into one. That's what I felt was the stakeholder problem. Uh, capitalism was. So what do you mean by stakeholder? What's your idea of stakeholder?
0: Okay. So I suppose that I'm then talking more from a business perspective rather than from that. And it really depends on who you're asking because people use these terms interchangeably. So okay. what I mean by a stakeholder is going like in a business, like I mentioned before, the stakeholders are the people who work there and the shareholders are the ones who are like either the CEO or the board members or the people who, who hold stock is. okay, Yeah. I, got I think it. That's, yeah. So if we're talking about in a capitalistic society, if I'm working, I would usually be classified more as a stakeholder than a shareholder. If I own the business and I have a vested interest in that way, like a higher stake, then I'm going to be a shareholder.
1: Okay, that makes a lot more sense than my original understanding. Thank you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to guess that that's not quite as applicable here then, and that what you were talking about makes more sense from the the WEF then. So. Let's let's go forward with both of those, and I'll be more clear now which one I'm referring to. So okay. uh, <laughs> thank you for that. So what they're talking about is taking the capitalistic principle of voting with your dollar and making it so that you now cannot vote, right? So this company failed to meet X standard of carbon emissions or X standard of racial justice or you as an employee dissented against this government's opinion and therefore you cannot work there right so they're, they're making it so that these companies cannot exist and the reason they do that is because they're more popular like why would they have a reason to shut these down unless they weren't being shut down automatically within the society and the way they get around that is they say something like these ideas are too dangerous does this sound familiar to you Ken these uh, this misinformation what? cannot no. be a threat to democracy. <laughs> So yeah, exactly. You're you're a threat to democracy. And what that says is the people in power are telling you, you are too stupid to understand when something is a threat. You are too stupid to understand when someone is cutting you against your interest. See also Democrats in the election, right? You are targeting <laughs> minorities. You are too stupid as a voter to notice when you could be doing better, right? And let me ask you this, how has that worked out since Biden's been in office? Because we've had some of the heaviest government regulation or government intervention on everything that we've talked about here, whether it be carbon emissions and things like removing the ability to do fracking, on government, federal land, uh, whether they are adding extra taxes to things to disincentivize you. No, no, no. no. It's Russia's
1: fault. It's Russia's (laughs) fault.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And so the great spin there is that they are doing what they're talking about now and it's not working and they're blaming Russia. Or they say, well, we just, we're doing it halfway here. You still got... It's never their fault
1: is the point though.
0: (laughs) And that's a politician. That is the life of a politician. It is never their fault. And so and when the GOP does it, I will call them out on that too. But the problem is that for those wondering why I'm not criticizing them, they're not the ones in power. And for the people who are listening to this who might happen to lean more left, I don't know how many on your, your audience do that, Ken. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know either. <laughs> but think of it this way. They are they are trying to say that we have a, a democratic and the small D or the the capital D, the the Democrats, right? So the party. Okay. The, the Democrats are in charge of the House, the Senate, and the presidency. That means that they have the ability to pass the legislation and sign it under review. And as long as it doesn't violate the Constitution, it's not going to be struck down by the Supreme Court. So why are we not getting these laws that they want? It's because they're either unpopular or they are actually the systems that they're claiming are oppressing people and they're just trying to distract you by saying, well, really, it's X, Y, or Z that's preventing you from becoming the best version of you that you could possibly be. And they need to be able to suppress dissent. Again, cancel culture boils down to you have a dissenting opinion. It's not enough that it's the minority, it actually needs to be completely squashed because your existence is a threat to my existence. And they pit people against each other. You can apply this to politics, you can apply this to their arguments. And by them, I mean like Jinsaki. And the Biden administration and the current Democrats who are in office, who are in favor of these things, they say that this is the threat. It is not enough that you have a different opinion that exists. Like, it's not enough that they've won the majority. You cannot exist. That's what they're saying. And so the, the new culture they're trying to usher in because of this crisis is they are trying to say that we really need to take this opportunity to completely squash all dissent. Because you all are too stupid to understand this is a threat. That That is in a nutshell. I was going to say, didn't the saying? Surgeon
1: General recently say like, they, they're going to start collecting data on anyone who's had dissenting voices or spreading misinformation on COVID? Something along those lines?
0: That sounds like something that was said. I, I think, I think tell you for no, sure I'm pretty sure I was. sent
1: that to you, didn't I?
0: <laughs> Probably. I, I would have to, to go back and look to speak with certainty. Let me put it this way. It would not surprise me if that was the case. That sounds about <laughs> right.
1: Sounds about right, at least with this administration. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: So this actually brings up a really interesting concept that I learned about listening to some of the the ideas surrounding this topic. And it is the Hegelian dialectic. Have you heard of that?
1: You know I have not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So for those who might not know what that is, This is basically, I'll just give you the the straight application. It's basically where the elites or the government are either creating or using a crisis to usher in their resolution, which then they use to perpetuate their own power. So for example, COVID, it's a crisis, right? And even though our government might not have been the ones who manufactured it, they were the ones who are exerting more power. And then under this idea, they're basically not relinquishing the emergency power, right? Because there was a time and a place for more strict and strenuous measures against COVID. And they're not relinquishing that until voting. Uh, But anyway, that's that's (laughs) besides the point. They don't relinquish the power. They don't give back or let up on the restrictions because they have it. So it's basically this leveraging of a crisis to get what you want. I mentioned earlier, never underestimate a politician's ability to use a crisis to their advantage. And that is what this is doing. So this is important because Klaus didn't just think that his reset or the great reset was going to be able to fix the pandemic. Cause like he, that's kind of been talked about. He also believed it was going to be able to fix inequality and injustice, which is why when Biden says we need to build back better, what he means is we need to completely restructure the way that I want. And that's through, you know, taxes on carbon, removing and punishing people for using gas, uh, for things like, you know, we're going to restructure based off of social equity, uh, racial injustice, right? We're not going to, I'm not going to appoint someone to oversee the Federal Reserve who's interested in looking at what our GDP is. I'm going to appoint someone who's more interested in racial equity, right? So it's a lot of mismatching between what are they trying to do and what are they actually saying? There's also a lot of mismatching between what would logically make sense. They're doing, but you know, I digress.
1: Okay. Well, yeah, so I don't know. It's, uh, it's definitely, it's a subject where many people are not going to be too educated on, especially, and that's what they're counting on though, too. They're counting on the voters and they're not taking into consideration of our curiosity when they say these things, um, we're going to look into these manners. We're going to figure out what's really behind the lines, especially when their actions have clearly stated we don't give an F about you and your no. life. You're um, going to be
0: poor and like it or what what was it exactly he said?
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, we're talking about who are you talking about?
0: Uh, I think it was Klaus who said it, wasn't it? Who said that uh under this All right, you'll, you'll you'll own, you'll, have nothing. you'll you'll have
1: nothing and you'll be happy about it
0: <laughs> which sounds like a threat. as i understood it in his context he meant that like basically we're going to have communal living and you'll be happy but that's not how i'm taking that because realistically i don't think that's going to be the case
1: i think the whole the whole thing with the social credit system that scares me really in particular and it should scare anyone that really there's world leaders that are actually on board with this idea it's time kind of what you're going say, talking about earlier if any dissenting voices out there, it doesn't even you don't even have to use a dissenting you don't have to necessarily be a dissenting voice through your words. It could just be through your actions. So let's say you go to a company that's not state sponsored or supported, that's gonna impact your social credit score, which is that fair for the individual? Absolutely not.
0: <laughs> well, I actually saw a little thing that was talking about how employers would be able to help incentivize healthier living. So for example, if one of the great threats in America, let's say, is like obesity, diabetes, health threats, and things like that, even go beyond COVID, right? Like let's let's focus on things that are far longer lasting, right? So heart disease, diabetes, do you want your employer to be able to allocate specific amounts of dollars for junk and health food? Like do you want them because that's one of the things that was actually mentioned. I don't remember who mentioned it, if it was a government entity, a company or just people who are saying this would be a good idea. But theoretically, if this gets implemented the way that they're talking about, what could happen is an employer will give you your paycheck, but you, under the new system that is completely online, right? the whole financial transaction system that's tracked online like you were just touching on, they get to track not just where you spend your stuff, but what you spend it on. Ah, Ryan bought, you know, nine candy bars this week. He must be depressed. <laughs> and therefore, you know, we're not going to let him buy that many because he doesn't know what's good for his own health. Do you see how this in practice now takes away your choice to do things?
1: Absolutely. And I guess the we could got-
0: <laughs> <For laughs> pretty good.
1: Yes. And I think it kind of boils down to uh, who is going to be your ultimate source of truth. And if you're someone who believes in a deity, or at least, as Jordan Peterson uh, puts it, uh, likes, lives his life as if God exists, um, then you're not going to be reluctant to give that freedom or power to the state in particular. Now, I think you and I can agree that this agenda is pretty dangerous. I'll go ahead and let you explain Further upon, if you have any anything to add as far as why do you think this whole agenda is dangerous? As far as how serious we should take it, we'll get into that in just a second. But, as far as the agenda by itself, why is it dangerous, do you think?
0: It's dangerous because this is a fascist globalistic power grab. And the reason I say it's fascist is because it weds government and power. It gives them more power. um, I mean, think Chancellor Palpatine level of power that is allowing either a single entity or a conglomerate of elites, whether it be politicians or people who have money. It just depends on who we're talking about in that specific moment. It allows them to make these decisions, and it allows them to make these decisions and say one thing, but they're not even held to their own account. So let me just give you the actual definition of fascism here. And it starts by saying it's an alt-right type of a thing. But what you need to understand here is that fascism is not unique to the right. In fact, Hitler was starting as the, the, the socialist party
1: he was actually he, considered a leftist.
0: Exactly. Now, here's what people – this is just a fun side tangent that you get for having Ryan on. <laughs> All right. Political theory is less of a spectrum, and it's more of a horseshoe. I know, like, even I'm going to talk about it in a spectrum. But think of a horseshoe where the ends come closer together. The further left and the further right we go, the closer those ideas come together. Even Stalin and Hitler would be two great examples of that, right? So you've got one that was considered to be more on the left and one on right, depending on how you use this. Okay. But they were very close because Hitler wanted ultimate government power to be the arbiter of truth as the – what people claimed was the benevolent dictator, right? He's a kind, altruistic individual, charismatic, and he gets to pick the – Stalin wanted the power to go to the people. And then he wanted it to go to himself, right? So they used very similar tactics. They had very similar results. Both of them end in the impoverishment of their countries eventually, even though under Hitler, Germany actually had a great recovery coming out of World War One when they were decimated. Right? You, you see that these ideas are very close together. Now back to my point. <laughs> Good. <laughs>
1: <No>. <laughs> I would have – okay. So I guess I'll add on to your tangent here because uh, – People like to view Hitler as a right winger, like you said a moment ago, and that fascism and communism are on different spectrums, which they are to an extent, but they still stem from the same tree. They're both derived, and their influencers derived from Karl Marx. Another point I want to add: like they're both, they both were Marxists. They just had different interpretations of Karl Marx's work, and they kind of created. Well, actually, take it back. Hitler did. Uh, Stalin was like the first pure communist country in the 20th century that was put in place at the time. But uh, Hitler was still a Marxist.
0: Yeah, and that's even mirrored actually in the third person, Mussolini, right? the dictator of Italy, because that's he's honestly probably the one who really popularized the idea of fascism. Like, Because uh, Hitler was obviously more down the Nazi path. Stalin was more down the communist path. They all have a certain level of fascism, which is defined as – dictatorial power, forcible suppression of opposition, and strong regimentation of society and the economy. Does that sound like a fair assessment of what they're trying to do here?
1: That would be a fair fair assessment, (laughs) except at that time they were using nationalism as a guise for their agenda. This time it's under the name of globalism.
0: And that's why I said this is a fascist globalist power because they actually – the whole idea here is almost like they're transcending the concept of borders. They're making us more interdependent on one another, and they are the, – the new elites are actually like the the elitest of the elites. Those people are going to be <laughs> the ones who are at the top of this international globalistic, whether it be economy or regiment or you know whatever it comes out as. That's what they're going to be now, is the new elites. And so, what I think we're seeing here is people who want more power are going to buy into this, right? Again, going back to Bill Gates, like Bill Gates funneled a lot of money into helping with the vaccine, and that's done a lot of good for a lot of people. Why is it that Bill Gates and TikTokers are the spokespeople for the vaccine and we're expected to think that they're the arbiters of truth, that they understand this at their credential? They're not. Bill Gates invested his money. He's not a scientist. So let's give credit where credit's due, but let's draw that line like I mentioned earlier. So again, this agenda is dangerous because they're attempting to restructure the world economy and government system as a united world order at the behest of the elites and the ruling class. And and you're seeing strong suppression of dissent from our political leaders, right? Trudeau is suppressing dissent. Biden is not taking the same authoritarian measures because we haven't given him that power to do so yet. Yet, At least not
1: directly either.
0: But he is using the social area to suppress dissent. You're a racist, you're a sexist, you're homophobic, you hate the poor, if you oppose these agendas. So he's still suppressing, he's just using a different tool that he's got right now.
1: I would agree with that. As far as why I think it's dangerous, I mean, when has communism ever worked out for anybody, especially, nonetheless, a national level? Now, Capitalism has lifted more people out of poverty versus a Marxist society, um, more people have died than any other government system in world history, period. And so it terrifies me to live in a society where we're basically equally poor. That's one of the f- jokes about capitalists make with communists, at least with capitalists. You know, we have the opportunity to get out of that situation where, you know, yeah, we have a few poor people here and there, and we have or a you know, certain percentage of people being poor. However, at least we're not all equally poor. And then you have your elite, if you will. And then when it comes to the societal aspect, I am a believer in free speech. So my show, and your show too probably, we would be deemed <laughs> untrustworthy by the United States government if the Great Reset and the social credit system were to take in place. And really, if you are someone who values freedom of speech, critical thinking, this is – that is also this would pretty much erode all of that with this reset, societal reset especially. That's why I think it's dangerous because as soon as you take away critical thinking, then you I mean at that point, it gets I feel like it's really hard to get people out of that mindset to rely on the government for truth, for basic necessities because they, they're not thinking. They're not, they don't realize there's other ways, other solutions to go about it. And anyone who does, they get squashed, like you said. Cancer culture uh, evolving. The, po- the Pokeball c- cancer culture evolved into <laughs> the government at that point.
0: <laughs> well, and again, this goes back to the logical fallacy of assuming that by giving the government more power and more reach and more ability to regulate, that we get an improved quality of life. You just hit the nail on the head. When did that ever happen with communism or socialism? Right, that it did not. And so, in fact, the quality of life was decreased. I mean, Stalin sent his people to be slaughtered um, during World War II. Literally, it was just a racking up of the bodies. That's that's what his tactic was for the most part. And, and also
1: – go ahead. Sorry.
0: Oh, no. Go ahead.
1: I was going to say also another thing about every Marxist regime that I've noticed. I've noticed a pattern that a lot of them tend to have concentration camps too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that's also – well, So, if that were to implement on a global scale, like who would be who would fall under that? Who would be going to these concentration camps? And I'm not saying that like that's on the horizon by any means or anything like that, but I'm just pointing out a pattern that I've noticed from almost every Marxist regime that has been implemented, whether it's Hitler or Russia, Russia, Soviet Union. They've had some kind of concentration camp where like one particular group was ostracized and they were put into these internment camps because. Of their existence because of their ethnic background, or whatever it is, or their religion, that should terrify anyone. If you notice that pattern, that should be something that people should notice. If you ask me, anyway.
0: No, I agree. And again, I, I'm not saying, and I, and I don't believe Ken is saying either, because you know, you just mentioned uh, we're not saying here that if this goes through, or if you know, or or and, like I said, like, it's not
1: like I said, it's not on the horizon. I'm not saying
0: it's on the right. horizon. <laughs> But the principle of government overstepping the power that they should have is a common denominator. Right. It's I think it was I'm pretty sure Joe Rogan even got in trouble for basically saying um, he was not saying that this now means that we're going to concentration camps. His point was that when you you have a lead-up like this, this is the same type of a lead-up. You have an ostracization of a specific type of people, whether it be based off of political affiliation, whether it be off, off of like race or ethnicity. What the government does to maintain control is they pit the people against each other, and then they also use that to then have the people ostracize them. That's a common tactic. And again, I don't think it's it's a fair comparison to then say, oh, well, conservatives or like this specific group are, are the same plight as uh, – that's where we're going – no, no, no. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that it is the same tactics that are used, and you're seeing the beginning of that. Where that goes from here is yet to be seen, but you're really seeing a power grab by the elites – And I mean, look at the way that China handled COVID. They were literally like soldering people into their homes that they couldn't leave because they were sick. You're seeing that there was, you know, at least the discussion within the United States government, should you be able to remove people from specific areas when they are contaminated in order to shield other people? I don't want the government to have the ability to remove me or my children or, you know, anyone from my family. I don't have kids, but like, just Uh, (laughs) hypothetically,
1: you'll get there one day,
0: (laughs) one day. I do not want a government who has the ability like China did to remove people to internment camps or wellness camps, whatever you want to call them. It's a separation of the people by the government that the the government has absolute authority to do. I don't care whether we're talking about Nazi Germany. I don't care whether we're talking about what China was doing for the sake of trying to shield the elderly and vulnerable populations in China. It's the same principle. You separate off the people that they deem to be unfit or unwell from the people that they are wanting to protect, whether it be physically, mentally, politically, societally. That's what they do. It is the same principle. Again, not saying that's where we're at. I'm saying you need to watch for the government grab of power because that is what they do, and it's a pattern.
1: A pattern worth noting um- which actually, I'll give you a more recent example, not necessarily in internment camp, but in Australia, as I'm sure you're aware, they have their own quarantine camps for the unvaccinated. And the prime minister even said, this is the beginning of a new world order. And as we mentioned a moment ago, that this new world order is basically a Marxist push to turn into this one globalist fascist regime. So who's to say that, we may not see something like that. Again, I'm not saying neither are you. We're not saying this is on the horizon, but you have to be careful and you have to notice these little things. And that kind of gets into really the last point of this episode of how serious should we take this? And if you ask me, I am someone that will take this very seriously. Just because politicians are incompetent with their ideas at times does not mean that I will underestimate the level of depravity people will go through to maintain and seize power. And so whenever they start saying the quiet parts out loud and no one's, or at least one side in particular, is not acknowledging they're saying the quiet parts out loud, that's where it's not conspiracy theory anymore. That is a time where I think people should be on high alert at that point. It's in plain writing. All of the information Ryan and I talked about, it's publicly available information. You don't have to look hard to find this you could look at the World Economic Forum, the website, as far as what the, the manifesto, uh, the Great Reset, as the Great Reset, even uh, from a societal and economic standpoint, everything we mentioned. We should not, by any means, take them. Uh, we should not underestimate them personally. What do you think, Ryan?
0: I absolutely agree with you there, Ken. I think that we should be very concerned, especially when our government is not living up to the ideals that they're claiming that we, as the people or the governed, (laughs) the inferiors, you know, (laughs) us down here on a low pedestal, need to be living up to. I mean, a great example of this is uh, the concept of greenwashing, which is basically where we're seeing larger companies, larger corporations get to do the virtue signaling. They don't have to actually change anything when it comes to carbon emissions or where they send their money. They just have to kind of make it more uh, palatable to the people and make it seem like they're doing something beneficial and we let the government or not we excuse me the government lets them get away with stuff the government lets themselves get away with stuff it is the people who are pinched so if you are hearing this and you're concerned you need to be voting against people who are going to implement this Uh, that's probably going to mean you need to vote against Biden in the next election because his administration's already been talking about and setting up things for the ESG incentives. Like we were just talking about the social incentives, uh, the environmental incentives, like the the social scoring. They have been throwing that around. And because the corporations see the writing on the wall – We've actually had some of the larger corporations, I think like uh, Chase and MasterCard, and like some of the bigger businesses have basically said, doesn't matter if the government's going to do it, we're going to do it. They're going to start scoring individuals through their banking systems and stuff. Like we are starting to see this to come out. And in large part, these corporations are trying to get ahead of the curve. Why? Because they want to have a place at the table in something like the New World Order or during the Great Reset. When we put politicians in office who are in favor of these things, whether or not they're actually voting for legislation might be irrelevant because the companies know that that's the case, right? Like we already saw a lot of the carbon stuff when Biden was put into office took a dive. Yes, eventually because of Biden's administration's legislation and executive orders, but also because companies know where their bread is buttered. When we have an administration that's in favor of these types of regulations and restrictions, they don't care about you. They want to make sure that they stay ahead and come out on top. So you need to be putting people, not just who aren't in favor of this, but who will be a check on them. If we don't do that, then can I agree with you. We need to be massively concerned, um, not just this is some future distant thing, but because it is at our <laughs> doorstep now, right now. They, they want to be able, like the World Economic Forum wants to govern universally, And they have no allegiance to nations or countries or even people at this point. They want to govern based off of what they think is currently good, right? Whether it, it, whatever's popular, Uh, like right now what's popular is LGBTQ, BLM, feminists, but like they're not even loyal to that because once the people have power and are pushing against it or that shifts, they'll go against it. So it's really interesting people who are in favor of these groups or these organizations or these identities and they give the government the power well the moment the government has the power they don't care about you they don't care about you now they're just making you feel good so they'll give you they'll, you'll give them the power
1: I have no and, use for them anymore
0: exactly and, and it's this game give me the power and then i'll make sure that you never get it back i will not let a good crisis go to waste and once they i'll fabricate it
1: i mean when it comes to, by the way, like my audience, like at least 20% now is Romanian. (laughs) So to my Romanian friends, if you have like, really, because this is a global reset, right? They're trying to create this global one government system in place. If you live in a government or you live in a country where you actually have free elections, vote for the person that's actually going to go against the great reset. That's going to protect your sovereignty as a nation because they're trying to essentially erase the concept of national identity, what makes us unique from all the other countries, whether you're from Ukraine, whether you're from Russia, whether you're in United States of America. And I just ironically happen to bring up the two uh, countries that are in the crisis right now that the global elites are using to push their agenda, aka 20% pay raise, Congress, United States. <clears throat> Anyways. <laughs> But it's one of those things where you, if you have that ability, that freedom right now, like you said, Ryan, it is at our doorstep. Like, this is like we're at – this is like the last stand, it seems like, right now, where the people have a choice. The people have the choice to either just go ahead and tuck their tail between their legs and, you know, cower their heads and just comply, try to get a spot at the table with the government, or, or – you can use your voice now. I think there's an old expression where it was like, uh, they went, they first went after the Jews. But I, I didn't say anything because I wasn't a Jew. And then they went after uh, the local business owners. But I wasn't a local business owner, so I didn't say anything. And by the time they came after me, there was no one left to speak. It's one of those things where if you have the voice, and you see these people knocking on the doorstep and threatening to take away your rights. Not even threatening. In some cases, they're, they're actually trying to take your rights away. And that's the one thing, too, I think, why we should take this seriously. It's not that this is theoretical at this point. Some, in some instances, they're actually taking steps like Justin Trudeau to squash the dissenting voices to ensure their agenda can be uh, pursued and pushed. And it's just at that point, if that's not enough, I don't know what will wake you up.
0: I think there's a lot of people who are good-hearted people who care about those who are of the minority, who hear the words equity and they take it at face value and think, when I vote for someone who's talking about equity, what I'm really getting is a better world, not just for me, but for other people. And that's a logical conclusion to reach based off of the way politicians package it. What you need to understand and what I talked about earlier is that equity is inachievable. It is not possible to achieve without government intervention, which is why these go hand in hand. And it is why that is the tool to silence dissent, that you are opposed to X, Y, or Z minority group because you're standing in the way of their safety, their happiness, whatever their their appeal is at that moment for that policy. When someone is standing on a platform of equity right now, what you need to understand is that if they had the power and they have the ability, they will usher in something like this because that's the final evolution, the final Pokemon.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The Pokemon reference. (laughs)
0: Of what they want. And that's why under Biden's administration, which is claiming to be the most progressive since FDR and why they're you know so focused on equity, that this is what we're seeing. It's not a coincidence. It's, it's not a coincidence that they're using a crisis to usher in the new world order and restructure. I don't know about you, but I was perfectly happy. Under the last economy that we had, we had the lowest unemployment, we had the highest quality of life per capita, meaning when you actually take it by racial group or by ethnic group or even by sexual orientation, like all of them, we had the lowest unemployment and we had some of the highest standards of living for each of those. And that was achieved under a free market. One of the best things Trump did was he left everything the hell alone when it came to the economy for the most part. And that... And that is why, in direct contrast, under the Biden administration, we're not seeing that because they're trying to restructure. If you left it alone, we actually would have probably gone back to where we were at. We would not have had such high levels of inflation. We would not have had such slow growth. We wouldn't have to be overcorrecting the way that we are. Putin and everything else aside, that would have been the case. And the economists who are worth their salt, who have talked about it, they're of the same opinion not to say that you can't find other dissent out there, but you're probably going to find a lot more people who are interested in different types of equity who are in favor of dismantling and restructuring the system in order to achieve that. So as long as you're, you're, you're voting in what you think you're voting in, then you know I, I can respect your opinion. I'll disagree, but I'll respect it. But if you're voting people like this in being misinformed, then we really have to pay attention to what's actually going on.
1: Well, Ryan – I will say this, especially for that last question, because I think the first time I brought this up to you, you're t- you like, ah, they're a bunch of, just like politicians, they don't re- They say a lot of things and empty promises, but they're not gonna. It's not worth taking it seriously. Uh, Much different tone than the first time I brought this up to you. So I'm glad I sparked
0: (laughs) the evolution, (laughs)
1: the evolution, the Pokemon evolution of
0: Ryan. The Ryan Pokemon. Exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We went from, "Eh, I don't really know much about it, but you know, not to take it too seriously. To no, we definitely should take this seriously. So I really appreciate you coming on the show tonight. It's been a fun conversation as usual. Um, Is there any final thoughts you want to go ahead before we close this out for tonight?
0: Yes. I've talked about logical fallacies. The biggest logical fallacy in my opinion that you can make is assuming that the government can fix your problems with more money, more power, or more time. It is a lie. They are playing you to get more of any of those things to do what they want. Don't give it to them. And that goes for all politicians because I've seen plenty of power grabs on all sides of the aisle. Make sure you don't commit that logical fallacy. All the other ones aside, and I'll leave it at that.
1: (laughs) Well, my final thoughts is really going back to the spiritual aspect, um, because that's what I like to do on this part, is uh, do not idolize politicians. Do not idolize the state to provide for you and provide for your basic needs and the truth. Go to God. Uh, God is the only constant in all of this, and as long as you keep our eyes on him, by all means, we'll be able to see through all the fog they're trying to throw at us. So with that said, folks, I'll be back. But y'all can say goodbye to my friend Ryan. Ryan, thanks again for coming on the show, for your academic perspectives on this and the evolution of Ryan Pokemon.
0: (laughs) Well, thanks for having me again, Ken. It's always a pleasure.
1: Uh, Real quickly, though, before we do go, go ahead and give your plug in for the show.
0: Yeah, so you can find us uh, on Between the Liars great discussion between people on all sides of the aisle actually i think you'll be able to catch ken on there this week so check us out uh we are on facebook we are on youtube we are on instagram and even on tiktok just look for at between the liars if you want a more balanced conversation where ken and i aren't tilting the scales in our favor
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right folks stay tuned we'll be back after this short break
0: well this was a really enjoyable conversation i had an absolute blast recording a huge thank you to Ken for having me on his show. I have linked his podcast and social medias in the description of this episode, so be sure to go and check him out. And remember that you can find uh, Between the Liars on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Twitch, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on our social medias to stay updated. And if you enjoy this show, give us a five-star review. Share us with your friends. Help us hack that algorithm. Make sure you find yourself somewhere between the liars. Goodbye for now.